welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. How are you doing, Jeffrey? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself, Squirrel? I'm doing okay. We're uh, getting on to some listener questions nowadays because we've finished our series on Agile principles, and we have a little backlog being Agile developers. I guess we should have a backlog, so we have a little backlog. And Jeffrey, I thought we'd start with one that's all the way back to January. Yep. Uh, this is one that uh, this is uh, our, our, our going to finally respond to Alex Hudson. Is that right? That's right. So he's written a blog post in response to one of our early podcasts on blamelessness. And he had a po- post on the notion of blame versus ownership. And Jeffrey, I think you had some favorite passages from Alex's response. Of course, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes so you can read the whole blog post. But Jeffrey, did you want to share what you found? Yeah, I think your favorite bits. Uh, yeah, I do. I think what I liked about Alex's post, and I'm not going to recap the, the entire thing here. It's definitely worth reading. But he pointed out that in our podcast, we mostly talked about the value of a blameless culture as one to encourage learning. But we didn't really say much about how to get there, what, how we actually uh, achieve it, how we implement it. And so Alex shared his approach, which is great. And the the very short version is uh, Alex tries to encourage a culture of ownership. And he finds that when he can achieve that, that he gets a blameless culture as a necessary post condition of, of enacting a culture of ownership. So once people- Sort of a side effect. That, that's right. And uh, and so it's, while it has all kinds of benefits and it's absolutely necessary, he sees it as something he gets, that it's, but it, he doesn't focus on blameless. And I, there were two things I like about what he said in particular. One, he said, the reason is you need to have something positive to focus on. And there, so you, you don't just tell people stop blaming. That's not an action they can do. That they you actually need to give them some uh, idea of what's the action they should be taking. And as he puts it, what's a positive mental model to frame their approach? And he sees that ownership provides a, a good mindset for people to have. So he can rather than see, he says like don't don't use blame take ownership instead, have an ownership mindset. And so he's he's giving them something positive. I, I really like that element. If it's well with something I heard recently where I was talking to uh, Mark Coleman and he was telling me about The Power of Habit, a book that he, he'd been reading. And it, in, in The Power of Habit, it talks about habits as having three elements, a cue, a routine, and a reward. And it makes the point that when you change a habit, so you, you want to eat less, what you do is- I'd like you, to eat less. That's, this sounds good. <laughs> Tell me how to do that. We, 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 we have a, a topic that will engage you here. What, says, what you do is Absolutely. You, you think of what are the cues that you have to eat right now. Maybe throughout the day, there's times where you, you'll, you'll get a cue and then you'll, you'll respond by, by eating. And I'm hungry uh, when I get home. <laughs> so you I get home from a long day in London and that's, that's my cue. You're, you're not you're not having the case where you're, for example, you're you're not snacking throughout the day. So that's not your. No, it's own. a it's a particular period of the day. This is great. I'm getting advice on my on my diet as well as on on agile. Keep going, Jeffrey. <laughs> All right. So the the model here is because there's the cue, a reaching a new word. You're going to have the same cue. You're still going to get home from London. I sure am. And and uh, you're probably still going to be hungry. But what you would need then is a different routine that would still deliver a reward. And the idea is you're going to, that new routine is something you're going to start training yourself to do in response to the cue. And it's much easier to substitute behaviors to, uh, than it is to just ignore the cue, which is the sort of the normal sort of advice. And they say, well, just, just eat less. It's like, just, just don't eat as much. 
Just ignore. Yeah, I tried that. Didn't didn't work. That's right, and that because that's not the way our brains work. So instead, Indeed. you'd say, "Well, what could you do instead?" And that's and that's that that model. So maybe you'd say, "Well, I'll have a prepared meal portions already created." So when you come home, you just take and have a unit that you've pre made and you have your routine ready to go in response to the cue. I'm home, I'm hungry. Oh, look, here's here's a, a plate already made up of the amount I wanted to eat. And it, rather than being in sort of foraging mode. That certainly could be useful. And I'd, I'd like to do that. This is actually something we also suggest in our courses on how to have difficult conversations, for example. So we talk about tells and things that signal to you, hey, this might be a difficult part of the conversation. Something's coming up that I might need to do something different for because last time I heard somebody say it's all your fault. I reacted poorly, so I programmed myself with something else that I might respond with. Sounds like that's the same idea of changing the behavior and replacing one behavior with another. Right. So that's a good point. Those tells are, I think, the same thing we're talking about here, which is a cue that triggers a routine. So I, that's the first part I like is that he is saying this thing, which I think is very consistent with how people's habits are, which is you need something positive to do. You can't just do the negative, which you can't just do blameless. You have to replace it with something. So I really, I really like that. The second thing that I liked in his blog post is Alex says that he, he shares a concern that he has, which is that if you are just focusing on, on being removing blame, and just being blameless, that that's your only go, a goal, then you might actually be discouraging people from ownership because they're, they, they're, they're so much focused on, well, it's no one's fault that, that they don't actually then take responsibility. Sure. It's no one's fault. Who cares? It's all okay. <laughs> that's right. It doesn't matter that the site was down for an hour. It's no one's fault. Right. I'm not to blame. You're not to blame. We, we can all feel good about ourselves and go back to doing what we were doing. Indeed. Which is probably which not is, what we which, want if it meant that the site went down. Absolutely. It's not, it's not, it, it's definitely not what we want. And, and I, this is something that people might hear. Well, that's kind of a, a straw man. This, that's a, that's a caricature of blamelessness. And that's true. But I think it captures something that's real, which is that any type of strength can also become a weakness when you take it too far. And so what I liked in what I, as I was thinking about what Alex wrote is that, that we do have these different uh, frames and things that we are going to emphasize, and they also carry some risk with them. So if I take even uh, the one that Alex talks about ownership, which I really like, might end up as someone taking too much ownership and start thinking, well, this is just me. I need to make this work. So I'm going to work extra hours and I'm going to work weekends and I'm going to just do a tremendous amount to make sure that we're successful. And of course, some of that's good, but taken too far, that can also be a problem. Indeed. And you wind up with single points of failure and burned out people and lots of other difficulties that we talked about, for example, in our uh, series on the Agile Principles, that you, you, you don't want to be that dependent and you want to be sustainable. That, that's right. So you, you do want people to have take responsibility and take ownership. You want them to be learning. You want them to care about delivery. There's many different things we want, and there's some tension between them. And then the question is, how do we detect when we're maybe too far down one path and how do we how do we get there to, to somewhere else and i know when we're talking about this and i think to, to to fit what alex was asking for which is can we say a bit more about how we implement this i know scroll you had an experience recently where you came in and found some blame happening and were able to get people to a different frame can you tell us about that sure 
Yeah, sure can. So I'm working with a, a client, and this client had a particular difficulty with the speed of production of static and simple web pages. And I seem to remember writing a lot of web pages back in the 1990s, and I could always do them pretty quick. But this team, for whatever reason, was finding that it was very difficult with the code base they had and with their knowledge of the sophisticated frameworks they were using and so on, that the development team was having a lot of trouble producing these pages for a team that wanted to see them. So a non-technical team that would produce designs and wishes and uh, demand for updates to web pages would ask for those. And it was actually this incredibly glacial pace of one change per quarter. And so they were actually putting in place mechanisms for deciding which page it would be this quarter and that nobody was very comfortable with this and they were blaming each other. So the developers were saying these demands are too high and we have too many other things to do and that's why we can't get to this and we'd sure love to undo all the technical debt that led us to this glacial pace, which we're not happy with. And if everybody would just leave us alone, we could do that. It's their fault. And of course, the people who were the internal customers had a very different view and they thought their developers were a bunch of lazy bums who were just not working hard enough and couldn't do a relatively simple thing that in 1995 I could do in 10 minutes. So everybody was not in a very good place and they were more or less stuck with this position of blame. So the good news is that they'd made some progress toward this when I uh, showed up on the scene and they'd actually managed to produce a whole two pages in a little while. And they were pretty proud about that. And the uh, customer team had managed to use a CMS system so that they could actually produce one of the pages themselves. And the developers with some Herculean effort had managed to get past some of the technical debt and produce a page. So that was great. Now we're up to two. And the team was saying, great. And what the leaders were, were saying, now let's see if we can actually get up to four. Can we, can we double it again? Can we get to four in the quarter? And I said, I really need to shake these people out of the position they're in. The mindset they have is not very helpful. So I said, guys, could, could we try to get 20 in the next month? What would happen? And what was really interesting was how this completely changed the dialogue. So instead of saying gosh, how are we going to get an incremental improvement? How can I do something different? Suddenly it became a shared problem because it was very clear that the developers couldn't do that by themselves. First of all, they'd need the content for 20 pages and there would need to be substantial improvements in the technical architecture and so on to allow uh, them to actually produce this and probably to get folks, the, the people that were, that were the customers uh, of this set of pages to actually produce it themselves with the CMS. And on the other side, they, the folks who are actually producing the pages said, wow, I'm not sure where we'd get 20 to create. I mean, we haven't even been thinking about that. This is a problem we'd have. And, and we actually, there are some we could produce with the current system and there are some we could do another way. And how could we actually do this? So it actually became quite a productive session. And uh, it's one of the rare meetings where I've had a developer afterwards say, that was a really useful meeting. <laughs> uh, I don't think I've heard that very often, but the result was that they actually figured out a strategy for producing 20 pages in the next month or so, which was a very different mindset to the one that they entered with when they were stuck in a, a blame frame. So the joint problem solving frame was very helpful in actually unsticking them. So replacing a difficult problem with a much, much more difficult problem actually helped them to solve the problem. Uh, which I think is really is, is a, a fascinating outcome. And it's one that seems very counterintuitive. But one thing that you and I discussed is that this isn't 
unique. This is not the first time that you've used that approach, and it's not the first. Absolutely time. not. I, I, I've used it as well. So we both use. This is a pattern that we've seen that when we have people who are stuck, we can use kind of a form of coherence busting. You know, people seem like they're very much stuck on a local maximum, and it that can be very tempting to say, well, we just need the other people to behave slightly differently. But when we go and say, no, let's let's make it much more aggressive, suddenly people's mindset shifts entirely, and we get out of that local maximum. Exactly. And there's a, a whole theory on coherence busting, which you and I have developed, and you have a very nice blog post, which we'll link to in the show notes. So if you'd like to read more about that notion of breaking yourself out of a stuck place, then we've got some material on that you can have a look at. All right. And so that I think this is we should at this point probably wrap up and thank Alex for his topic and for hopefully we've we've given him some uh, of how we approach implementing a blameless culture and part is one example we might do is to to shift to shared problem solving by coming up with much more aggressive targets that get people looking in the same direction and now thinking about how can we all be very different than we are today. Absolutely. So Alex was very helpful in responding to our podcast with his own thoughts. That's super. We've had a few other folks come to us with questions or problems or puzzles that they're interested in. So we'll work our way through that backlog. We'd sure love to hear from you, our listeners, on things that you'd like us to help solve. You could write us with problems you've solved yourself and ask for our comments on how you did that. You might have a problem that you don't know how to solve. We'd love to hear from you on that or a problem you think you might encounter and you'd like us to think about. Anything that you'd like us to work on would be great because, of course, the title of the podcast is Troubleshooting Agile. So I I think we should troubleshoot some things, Jeffrey. (laughs) I like that idea. Excellent. Well, we look forward to hearing from our listeners. You can find us on troubleshootingagile.com and we'd love to get your comments in in an email and we promise we'll we'll get to as many of them as we can. All right. Looking forward to see what comes in. Excellent. Thanks, Thanks, Jeffrey. 